Let's pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. About this time last year, Bishop Todd announced that the Lord was nudging him to concentrate his time on being a bishop and to phase out of being the rector of Holy Trinity. And I had no clue that I would be here a year later. And I want to say thank you to Bishop Todd because Bishop Todd has left a legacy of leadership that has deep integrity, a vision that has deep compassion, a way of being that has, is full of grace. I feel like it's a wonderful privilege to get to step into this position with that sort of legacy and example having been left for me. So I want to say thank you, Bishop Todd. And I look forward to getting to know you because we actually don't know each other that well yet. <laughs> These are all just from stories I've heard for the most part. And I want to thank you, Holy Trinity. You get called to be a pastor at a church and you go, okay, I'm called to be their shepherd, to serve them, to love them, to care for them, to lay down my life for them. But one of the amazing things over the last couple months is that you have found ways to serve me and my family before I could ever show up and serve you. Numerous ways. Half of them Susie and I wouldn't even have thought of. And so we feel like there's been such a warm embrace. You have made this transition so much smoother for us and our kids. And so I want to say thank you for that. Transitions bring change. And change is, always brings emotional kind of upheaval. <laughs> and so one of the reasons why I chose to preach from the gospel reading this morning is because it's a moment when Jesus shows up to his disciples in the midst of transition. And in the midst of all the emotional upheaval that that brings. He shows up to Mary in her grief. He shows up to the disciples in their fear. He shows up to Thomas in his doubt. And he shows up to Peter in his disillusionment. And the other reason why I chose this gospel is because at the end, it ends with that great command following the question, do you love me? Peter, feed my sheep. Now, as you know, that command, feed my sheep, comes on the heels of some very important details. There was a meal that happened, and that meal happened around a fire. Now, those are not Minor details, they're very significant. The Gospel of John wants us to know. Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in that place. A charcoal fire. The word literally means like a heap of burning coals. And this word only shows up in two other places in the Gospel of John. It's here and in chapter 18. In its first occurrence, it was a charcoal fire around which Jesus, um, Peter warmed himself at night as he denied Jesus three times. So Jesus, John wants us to know that Jesus invites the disciples to breakfast around a charcoal fire in particular. What is Jesus doing? As many of you know, lots of studies have been done in recent years on the nature of human memory. And many of, many of these studies have provided scientific evidence for something that we already kind of knew by experience. And it's that memory is deeply interconnected with the physical senses. Examples. 
I can sit in a cafe at a particular spot and it can bring back a painful memory of a conversation, a difficult conversation I had with someone in that spot maybe weeks earlier. I can walk by a woman in town and the smell of her perfume reminds me of the perfume that my girlfriend wore when I was 11 years old. <laughs> and then I chuckled to myself. Or someone can raise their voice in a conversation and it can cause another person to shut down because that person remembers what it's like to have their parent raise their voice and have to interact with them. Memories have a powerful effect on us. And our, they, become, they mark our lives and they become irrevocable parts of our identities. Memories are often attached to particular sights and smells and sounds. So now imagine Peter coming up to this charcoal fire. The sight of white hot burning embers and a flickering flames. The smell of smoke and char. The sound of sizzling fish and crackling wood. And imagine the memories that would have come up in Peter's mind, painful and shameful memories of just a handful of days ago when he denied the very one that he now approaches. There are only two places in the whole Gospel of John where we get this. At the first fire in chapter 18, Peter denies Jesus. And now in the second fire, Jesus invites Peter. He's intentionally taking Peter back to the place of pain, of betrayal, of denial a place where things went so horribly wrong for him. Have you ever had that sense in a relationship, <laughs> whether it's with a spouse or a friend or a son or a daughter, that that relationship is not going to move forward, it's not going to mature and grow and reach its full potential unless first you go back and deal with something in the past? Maybe it's a time when you felt betrayed or misunderstood. You broke someone's trust or confidence. There was a breakdown in communication that caused distance and damage and pain and hurt. See, Jesus is taking Peter back to that place of breakdown in relationship. And unlike us, Jesus is not afraid to go there with Peter. To enter into the areas of brokenness and to address the breakdowns. He goes where we would rather not go. He invites Peter, like us, to go there with him. So brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this morning, where is Jesus inviting you to go with him? Is it an unfulfilled dream or desire that continues to cause pain for you? Is it a particular sin from the past that continues to grieve you and burden you? Is it a particular relational dynamic that no matter how hard you try, it just won't go away and it keeps nagging at you? Is it an experience of burnout, of disillusionment? Like he does with Peter, Jesus invites you and me to our own charcoal fire. And we have to ask the question is, what does Jesus want to do around this charcoal fire? He invites us there, then what happens when we actually get there? And we see this in verses 9 to 13. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, it was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. 
Jesus' public ministry begins with providing wine at a wedding, and it ends with preparing a meal for his disciples. What does Jesus do around the fire? He feeds, he nourishes, he cooks, he offers, he eats. We get an image of Jesus treating Peter like he treats us as a host would treat his honored guest with radical hospitality, and with restorative generosity. And don't miss this point. In the ancient world, a meal was a very significant relational marker. If you ate with somebody, if you sat down and broke bread with them, you were a friend or you were family with that person. If you refused to eat with somebody, then you were rejecting friendship or you were rejecting family. Eating together was an act of intimate fellowship. So Jesus says, come. Have breakfast with me. He took the bread and he gave it to them. He's inviting Peter to join him around a charcoal fire in the very place where Peter broke fellowship with him, and then he is extending the bread of fellowship. In other words, he invites Peter into friendship and fellowship at the very place where Peter broke it. This is amazing to me that this is how Jesus treats his deniers. This is how Jesus treats his betrayers. And I cannot but help of the Eucharist, of the table which we will journey towards very soon, when the risen Lord as our host will once again extend table fellowship to us tired and weary sinners. He will say, come and be my friends. And it's only in the context of being invited to the fire and then being given this radical act of generosity and invited into fellowship where we've denied it, that Jesus then says to Peter three times, do you love me? Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jod, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. There's so much that could be said about this passage here. (laughs) We could dwell on it, we could meditate on it for hours, but there's just two things I want to draw out to you as a close. First is Jesus invites Peter to feed others only after Peter himself has first been fed. In other words, Peter has to receive before he can give. Or to flip that around and state it negatively, is that Peter can only give what he has first received. We saw this in John chapter 13, which we'll be getting to actually in a couple months. Peter, Jesus says, if you don't let me wash you, you can't have anything to do with me. Jesus is saying to him in John 13, to keep loving and serving others well, you have to allow me to love and serve you first, to wash your feet. As your new rector, I take this job this morning, (laughs) and I come to you not with big visions to cast, big changes to make, values to 
make sure that you're in line with that I've come with. I actually don't come to do anything, first of all. I come realizing that first I need to be one who receives. To receive from Lord Jesus, to let him wash my feet. To let him invite me to the fire that I need to be invited to. To let him prepare the meal for me that I need to have prepared. And to receive from Lord Jesus. Because I can only give you what I first received. And the second thing is that Jesus commands Peter to share in the same ministry that he has received from Jesus. Jesus fed him. Now he is to feed others. Now there's a key difference. Jesus' ministry, his ministry, and only his, really has the power to change lives. My ministry and your ministry and Bishop Todd's ministry only has power to change lives only insofar as it bears witness to Jesus. As insofar as it follows him, insofar as it shares in what he is doing. But the point here is that grace is given to be received. And we see this once again in John chapter 13. Jesus says, if I, your Lord and your teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you example that you should do just as I have done. Now see what's happening here. In John chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, Peter's feet, and he doesn't say, I've washed your feet, now you wash my feet. He doesn't feed Peter in John chapter 1 to 21 and say, I've fed you and now you feed me. He says, I've washed your feet and I've fed you, now you go wash somebody else's feet and you feed them. The great uh, missionary to India, Leslie Newbegin, I think he's the one that maybe captured this to most. He said, our neighbor is the appointed agent authorized to receive what we owe to the master. That's worth repeating again. Our neighbor is the agent authorized to receive what we owe to the master. You see, the whole point of Peter's encounter with the risen Lord is not that, that Peter would be healed from his sins, would be freed of his guilt, and would be able to go away happy in his life. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good stuff. But Jesus wants more. The point is that Peter is restored, and now he is ready to receive a new mission and a new vocation in his life. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. In other words, shepherd my people. What is it for you? What is it for me? What is it for Holy Trinity Church in this new season of our life together? I'm going to end with a quote by Jean Vanier in his book called Becoming Human. He says, everything that is human needs nourishment. The body, the mind, the memory, the imagination, and particularly the heart. They must be nourished by encounters with other hearts that can lead us into other gardens of life, into a deeper and new vulnerability, and into a new understanding of the universe, of God, of history, and of the beauty and depth of each human being. Everything that is human needs nourishment. The body, the mind, the imagination, the heart.
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And feed my sheep. Brothers and sisters, I speak these things to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.